This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Steve Moore with more money on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Good afternoon, folks. This is Steve Moore. This is the More Money Show on WABC Talk Radio, the number one talk radio station in these United States of America. So it is a great privilege every week at 1 p.m. to come on and talk to you about what's going on with finances, with the economy. We throw in a little bit of politics, and uh, we've got a great show lined up today. So thank you, by the way, if you're a, a regular listener to the show. I appreciate it very much. Uh, I'm told by my the owner of this station, got John Katsimatidis, that we have great ratings. So very much appreciate your tuning in. And if you're a new listener, um, we're on every week and every Saturday at this time slot. So I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, I want to start by uh, by telling you I've got a great guest coming on at the bottom of the hour, David Sokol, who's one of America's leading businessmen. And we're going to talk about what's going on with the economy, what's going on with China and other issues. So I hope you will stay for the whole hour. By the way, it's a crappy, crappy day all over the East Coast. Don't you hate it? When Saturday rolls around and it just rains and you get this glum gray sky. So, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, it affects your mood, you know, when, when you see these gray skies and, and this drizzly weather. Uh, hopefully, I know we are broadcast all over the country. Hopefully you're somewhere where the sun is shining. The good news is, folks, tomorrow is going to be, be a beautiful day in most of the country. So today is a good day to listen to the radio. And then tomorrow, get out and enjoy the warm weather and the sunshine. Okay, let us get right down to it. Uh, next week, Joe Biden is going to go on a victory tour on the economy. He's going to go around the country. I think he's going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, go to about 10, 12 states and talk about how well his economic agenda is working. By the way, I want to take some of your calls at the end of the show. And I, the topic of the day, do you agree with uh with Joe Biden, that the economy is working well and that he has saved our economy. Um, I don't. <laughs> I think I'm going to give you kind of a, um, I think, a uh, realistic assessment of what has gone right and what has gone wrong under Joe Biden's um, stewardship of the economy. Um, but I would say overall, it's just really hard to say that Joe Biden's performance has been anything but close to a complete failure. I mean, there have been some victories uh, and there have been some things that are going right in the economy, but hmm, I'm with them. I'm with the two thirds of Americans who just don't think we're on the right course right now and who are very, very worried about our fiscal policy, about our financial policies, about what's happening with regulation, about the fact that they, this administration wants to monitor everything you're doing, including what kind of air conditioner you have, what kind of stove you have in your kitchen what kind of a washer and dryer you use, uh, all of these regulations. I'm, I'm pretty libertarian, folks. I, I, for those of you regular listeners to the show, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much, you know, if I'm, if I'm not hurting you and I'm not hurting your property, I should be able to do pretty much what I want to do. That's my view of government. Uh, it is to protect us from people who want to do us harm. But I also don't want the government in the boardroom. I don't want it in the bedroom. I don't want it in my kitchen. <laughs> I don't want politicians telling me what to do. It's funny. I was um, doing a podcast with a friend the other day, and it was uh, a lot of fun. And, and it was really kind of one of the questions this gentleman asked me is, you know, why are you a conservative? How, when, did, when did you start being a conservative? And I said to him, you know, I've never liked people telling me what to do from the time I was about seven years old. I just, I want to live my life. I don't, I, I respect the people who have other opinions. I believe in the freedom of speech. I believe in freedom of property, but I don't want the government regulating my behavior. I don't want it unless it's hurting someone else. And we've got too many do-gooders on the left who want to tell us every little thing that we can do, including what, where we can get our energy from and what kind of appliances we can buy. Uh, how much they want to? They feel like they can take half of our money. 
half of our in taxes. Many Americans are paying 50 percent. Uh, you know, when you include all the taxes you pay, the gas taxes, the sales taxes, the property taxes, the payroll taxes, the state taxes, the federal income taxes, people are paying in many uh, income groups almost half of their income in taxes. Now, is that fair? Do you think it's fair that, uh, you know, a, a millionaire is paying 50 percent of their income in taxes? Now, look, some don't. Some some find clever ways around paying taxes. That's why I've always been a big fan of the flat tax. And I also kind of like the national retail sales tax idea as well. You know, getting rid of the income tax, just paying your taxes at the cash register. But what's happened is we've built up a 75,000 page IRS uh tax code. Nobody understands it. Nobody has any idea. When I fill, when I fill out my taxes, look, I, I'm a conscientious person. I try to find ways I can reduce my taxes. But when I send it in, could I swear to you that I did it right? Nope. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the rules are too complicated. And then the IRS comes after you. I spent three years in tax court against the IRS. They have unlimited resources. You're basically... Uh, Guilty until you prove yourself innocent. For any of those of you who've ever been in a dispute with the IRS, the uh, you know burden of proof is on you, the citizen, not the government, not the government. And by the way, the government hires all these uh, you know legal people to come after you. And so my tax accountants used to say, "Well, we think Steve, you're in the right here. We think you probably don't owe the IRS all this money. They say you do, but then you know what they tell me, gentlemen and ladies? They say just pay it anyway." Pay the money because it's going to be cheaper for you in the long run to just pay what they say you owe them rather than to fight it because you're going to pay so much in legal fees. And this can go on and on and on. And they're going to have, you know, they can take away your property. They can put liens on your on your income. This is America. <laughs> this isn't the way it should work. So I love the idea of flat tax. Get rid of all the loopholes, all the credits, all the deductions, all the special interest privileges, and just pay, let's say, 18, 19% of your income in tax. You get a, you get a tax um, deduction for yourself and your children. So if you have four kids, you get a deduction because you know, raising kids is the most important function uh, that many of us ever do in our life is to, to, uh, to educate and raise uh, responsible and good children so they turn into responsible and good adults. Um, wouldn't that make more sense? I know April 15th is coming up in uh, about three weeks, so we're going to have a special on this, by the way, next week on tax reform. I hope you will tune in. But let's get back to Joe Biden. I've got about uh, four minutes before we have to take a break here. Um, I'm going to I'm going to grade him, okay? Because I've I follow this data day you know day in and day out, and I you know I work for Trump, so I I will admit I'm a little biased. I was one of Trump's economic advisors, and so let's go down the list, okay? On jobs, jobs, I'm going to give Joe Biden a B plus, a B plus. Yeah, the jobs market is strong, really strong, and uh, so good, good for him, good for the country. There are a lot of jobs out there. There's 10 million jobs open, five million. Uh, people who are unemployed. So the jobs are out there. It is a good market if you're looking for a job. So Joe Biden gets a B plus on jobs. Okay, let's turn to the next one. Inflation. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm gonna, D. I'm going to give him a D. It could be worse, but it's pretty bad. When you go from 1.4% inflation to 9% inflation under Biden. Now, the good news is the inflation, the reason I'm going to give him a D, not an F, is because the inflation rate is coming down. Now, it's still really excessively high, but when you look across the board on consumer prices, they're growing at a little less than 6% now. So that's still way too high, but it's not a disaster. It's not Jimmy Carter. So I'm going to give him a D on prices. What about incomes? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Nope. Sorry. I'm going to have to give them a D. Because the average family has lost about $3,500 in purchasing power since Joe Biden came into office. 
So incomes are down, not up. And they're down for middle class people. They're down for minorities. The very groups that did the best under Trump are doing the worst under Biden. So I'm going to have to give him a D on that. What about on regulation? F, F. <laughs> All he wants to do is regulate everything he can, they can move. You know, and they, they denied that they wanted to uh, go after gas stoves and air conditioners and so on. But read the documents, folks. Their energy department, their EPA and the White House says, get rid of these things. We have to save the planet. What do they want to do? Have us put, you know, our, our clothes back on clotheslines in the good old days like we did in the 50s? Do they want to, uh, do they want to have everybody uh, get rid of their dishwashers and you have to hand wash your dishes? Um, do they want ice boxes? Anybody old enough to remember ice boxes? I do. I remember ice boxes. I'm older than you think where, you know, the ice would come in and that's how you would refrigerate your food. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't use any energy, so they love it. Um, so I'm going to have to give them uh, an F on regulation. Um, let's see. The next one I want to talk about, oh, energy policy, energy. Um, D, D is in dog. I mean, he did a few things right. I think he's opened up some acreage in Alaska. But my gosh, we went from, <coughs> excuse me, energy independence under Donald Trump. In fact, we were selling oil, not buying it internationally. Now we are beholden to the Saudis, to the Russians, to the Iranians. Uh, we're losing um, about $200 billion a year because of this insane climate change agenda that isn't changing the temperature of the planet by even 0.0001%, but it's causing real hardship on American citizens. Um, what is the next one we should look at? Um, how about the cost of raising a family? Nope. <laughs> I have to give them a D on that. The cost of, you know, I was just saw a report. There's still a shortage of, of uh, uh, baby food and, uh, and other kinds of, um, you know, the formulas, baby formulas, all that stuff. It is expensive to raise kids, and it's more expensive now than ever. The tuition costs are going through the roof. So um, those are some of the major elements where you would have to look at the economy and you'd have to say, overall, I'm going to give uh, Joe Biden a D, a D for his handling of the economy. Uh, and I would give uh, Donald Trump a an A minus on his handling of the economy. So things are not going in the right direction. Thirty one percent of Americans do think the economy is going in the right direction. Sixty six percent of Americans think it's going in the wrong direction. Oh, and I forgot the, the last uh, one. How can I forget the most important one? How about his handling of our finances, of our nation's finances, our debt, our deficits, our taxes? I'm sorry. I have to give him an F minus, F minus on that. Our debt has gone up by six and a half trillion dollars in two years. That is above what it was supposed to be when Trump left office because we've been running deficits for 50 years now. But all we've done is see this trajectory up. We're headed to $50 trillion in debt over the next 10 years. Um, and there's no solution here. There's no solution from Biden. He's saying, I'm not going to negotiate with the Republicans on the debt ceiling. Just give me an unlimited credit card. And final thing before we go to our break. I'm, I'm, I'm really honored the fact that a lot of people who disagree with me listen to this show. I, I think that's fantastic. I want to hear from people with alternative viewpoints than mine. That's we, why we call uh, WABC a freedom of speech radio station, because we like to hear from people with differing views from our own. So that's how we learn, by the way, by listening to other people. Um, so I know that there are a lot of Democrats who listen to this show, and I know there are a lot of people who are with liberal, more liberal viewpoints than mine. But you have to admit, no matter what your ideology, that the path we are on financially in this country is a train wreck. We are going to have this locomotive go right over a cliff if we don't turn it around. So that is my long way. Okay, I'm going to step down from my soapbox. Thanks so much for uh, joining the show. I will be right back with my interview with Ryan Payne from Payne Capital Management, who is one of the best in the business. This is. The More Money Show on WABC Radio. Steve Moore with More Money. This is WABC Talk Radio, and now we get to our important section of the show where we talk about your finances and the finances of the country and how you can make more money so we have nobody better in the business than Ryan Payne of Payne Capital Management. Uh, Ryan, good to be with you. Uh, let's start with uh, the Fed rate hike, which was the big economic news of the day. Uh you know, I'm kind of on the fence on this one personally, whether that was necessary or not. We do see commodities falling in price, 
we do see um, some reduction in the inflation rate over the last few months. And so there's a lot of worry that these uh, rate hikes, including the last one, um, and by the way, there have been, I think, nine rate increases over the last um, year or so, uh, from 0.5% to 5% now. Do you yeah. think this was necessary? I, I, yes and no. Um, well, yeah. First off, they backed off, right? It was expected they were going to do 50 basis points. Right. And we had three bank failures in the country. But I think the fear was, if you're in Jay Powell's shoes, the Federal Reserve chairman, is if they did nothing, we'd start wondering, is the banking system really messed up? So I think they kind of had to follow suit with another rate increase just to show that they're not that concerned about the banking system. And I think, you know, that's kind of where they're between a rock and I'd call it a soft place because, you know, the economy is starting to soften. Inflation is coming down. I mean, oil now under $70 a barrel, which is a huge tax rebate for the American consumer, right? right? We all benefit from that. And to your point, I mean, commodity prices in general. So I think we are in that disinflationary uh, you know, error that we've been talking about. And I think the Fed here is going to start really starting to dial back their monetary policy. We might even see a pause at the next meeting. So I, I think we're almost done there. And I think that is actually. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I would say from a, an investment perspective, a very optimistic sign. So we have uh, about um, a number of banks that are have failed, including Silicon Valley Bank. And there's rumors that there are several dozen more that are in trouble is this what do you think about investing in the bank stocks right now you've got the big four basically you know city and jp morgan and wells fargo and then you have you know the smaller more medium-sized banks is this the time to flee flee from the uh, banks or maybe there are some bargains out there well i, I think the big banks are too big to fail right you, the government would right. step in <laughs> and sure. jp morgan yeah, would all of a right. sudden you know, have a liquidity problem. So I think that the big banks are probably safe. They're probably not a bad place to invest. Regional banks, there'll probably be some bargains, but I wouldn't be a hero here. Um, you know, they really haven't rebounded much. Um, and there's just too many what ifs right now because we don't know, you know, how much money is going to leave, how many depositors are going to leave the regional banks. So I think there's just too many uh, walls of worry to, to really climb uh, when it comes to the regional banks here. So I'd be careful there. I think the big banks are perfectly fine. You know, they're perfectly solvent ever since the financial right. crisis. They're in much better shape than they were. They trade cheaply and they pay nice dividends. But the regional banks, I wouldn't be a hero here, Steve, even though I think there'll so be what, some value long term. Well, what sectors do you like right now? Well, I still like value over growth. Um, right. I, I do like the international markets. You know, one thing we've talked about week over week, which I don't get talked about enough, is China is coming out of lockdown this year. And they have a lot of consumers that buy a lot of goods right. and services around the world. And yep. specifically, if you're in Japan or you're in Europe, you disproportionately benefit from that versus the United States. Um, and their currencies, specifically the Japanese yen, is very cheap versus the Chinese yuan. So, you know, globally, everyone benefits from China reopening. Um, if you look at the foreign markets, they're a lot cheaper than the U.S. markets. Um, and I do think that, you know, the large banks are a good place to be. I think energy exposure is still critical here, even though oil has come down a lot. Um, you know, the energy companies are making a lot of money and energy. Fossil fuels aren't going away for a long time. Um, so they're all great places to be. You know, technology's had a great run this year. I wouldn't get suckered into putting all your money into technology. They still trade very expensively. So I think there's still a lot of problems there. But spreading that money out globally right now, I think, is the play. And, you know, I wouldn't waste time here. I mean, look, inflation's coming down. Uh, employment market still remains strong. This is a recipe for what we call that soft landing we've been talking about. So explain to our listeners who may not be financial pros like you are, there are a few better than you are in terms of um, investing advice, but explain how it is that when you have um, a a period of rising interest rates, as we've seen from the Fed now, from 0.5% to 
five percent. I say, like, who do they think they are? Uh, you know, <laughs> <a> Ferrari. I <laughs> said from zero to uh, five hundred. But um, why is that bad for people who own bonds? Uh, it's kind of explain that to people. So, in other words, the banks are losing money because the interest rates are rising and they're holding a lot of longer term debt at lower interest rates. So, could you walk us through that? Right. So that's what happened with Silicon Valley Bank is they were putting a lot of the money that they were getting from depositors into long-term government bonds, which is a very Wait, safe Hold investment. on. Stop, stop right there. Stop right there. Why? Why would they – you know, because back then interest rates were so low, it just seems like a dumb move to be investing a lot of money in bonds because it seemed pretty obvious that rates were going to have to rise. So I'm just kind of puzzled by that. It's a great point, and I think the problem is bankers are using other people's money, <laughs> not right. their own money, and they got right. greedy because you know by putting the money into longer-term treasury bonds, they got a little bit of yield that was better than they were paying you and me, the depositors at the bank, and making right. a little spread there. But it was like right. penny-wise, dollar-foolish. Right. Because to your point, you know, anyone that knows anything about risk management knows when interest rates go up, bond prices go down, and if all your right. money is out long-term and in the bond market, well, it doesn't matter if you're in a safe bond. They're going to depreciate in value quickly. And all of a sudden, when they needed liquidity, they had to sell those bonds at a loss. Mm-hmm. It was very problematic. A oh, very I obvious see. issue, but in my opinion, pure greed on the banker's fault, you know, on the banker's, uh, you know, decision making. And I think the bottom line is that's the problem with these bankers. It's not their money. So they take enormous so, amount of risk. Uh, we just got a couple minutes left. So. Uh, what about buying bonds now? Should people steer clear of that, or what? That should almost always be part of your portfolio, shouldn't it? I agree, and I think I would lock into bonds here because yields have gone. You just mentioned we have a Ferrari yeah. here <laughs> with interest right. rates, um, which I love that that analogy. Um, you know, rates right now are at over a ten-year high, so you're able to lock into a, a bond portfolio where you're getting yields right. you haven't gotten in over a decade. Now, why that's important too is. It looks to me like you're already seeing it in the treasury market. Interest rates are already starting to come down in anticipation that, that inflation is going to come down. So not only are you locking in a great yields, but the opposite happens when rates go down. Bond prices start to go up. So I think the, the big mistake you'll make here is don't lock up your money in a one-year treasury paying 4 or 5% right. because that money comes due in a year. And if rates are a lot lower, you have what you call reinvestment risk. I'd go uh-huh. out longer term here. Because, again, I'd lock into these rates because, look, the market's telling you inflation's coming down. Rates aren't going to be this good forever. Don't, so don't, don't lock in short term here. Lock in a little bit longer term. That's Ryan Payne of Payne Capital Management. Ryan, thanks so much for your uh, analysis, as always. Uh, we will be right back. This is the More Money Show. I hope you're all having a great Saturday. And we will be right back with more analysis of what is happening in, in this topsy-turvy market. Hey, and if you're thinking to yourself right now, like you need to figure out what to do right now, you know that interest rates are better right now. You might be sitting in cash trying to figure out what to do, trying to figure out your retirement plan. Well, here's your shot to do it. We keep 10 slots open on every show. If you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement, myself, my dad, Bob, will run for you our total financial master plan, and we'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review that my firm, Payne Capital Management, that's P-A-Y-N-E, We'll run for you at no cost. There's no other firm out there that will do this work up front. We go as far as building you your own personalized financial portal. We're going to give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial picture and just hone in on every financial issue you need to address today, whether it's an income plan for retirement. How do you take Social Security? Well, there's lots of ways to take it, only one right way for you. How do you draw from your portfolio without running out of money? We put together a full income game plan so you can live off your portfolio Without running out of money and factoring in inflation, your costs are going to double over the next 20 years just because inflation is going higher. You need an income plan to solve for that. We're going to look at diversification. Has your portfolio been all over the place? This markets have been extremely volatile. Or are you still sitting in cash? Paralysis by analysis, not sure what to do. Well, we're going to put together for you a full investment game plan. Show you how to grow your money, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street just loves to sell you high-cost, tax-inefficient products like annuities, life insurance products, mutual funds, structure products, mutual funds. We're going to do a deep dive of every investment you own, show you how to reduce all the hidden costs, and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make. It's what you take. I'm going to give you our full tax playbook. We have 10 slots. We're going to keep it open for the whole show. If you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement, 
All you need to do is call or text at 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. We have 10 slots. If you've saved over a million dollars, simply call or text right now at 844-752-6692. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. So I have a, a special guest with me today, my colleague, certified financial planner at my firm, Payne Capital Management. Of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E. I have Mr. Aaron Destin here today. Aaron, great to have you on the show with me today, man. Hey, great to be here, man. Thanks for having me, Ry. Yeah, yeah. You know, Bob's Goffin, so I needed the backup team. So uh, you came through, which I appreciate. Um, you know, and Aaron, in our, at our firm, Payne Capital Management, you know, we work with over 1,000 families or so, and we pretty much advise people on every aspect of their financial planning and investing. And really through trial and error, we've come up with a lot of beliefs and philosophies over the years. This is like my 21st year in the business. So then we can just talk about a couple of statements when it comes to financial planning that either jive with our viewpoint or not. And I thought maybe you could chime in on it. Like for instance, you know, we get this question a lot, but should you always pay your house off as soon as you can, especially if you're near retirement? Um, you know, when we talk about mortgages that we got over the last few years, you know, excluding this year and last year, um, oftentimes people were having really low interest rates. So they're maybe only paying two, three, four percent to borrow, and they can likely make five to six percent on their investments. Uh, so it really doesn't make any sense to pay it off early when they can earn more by investing that extra cash. No, it's a great point because, like, if you have a three percent mortgage, which is pretty awesome, and now a treasury bill can pay like five percent. You know, uh, you're better off not rushing a payoff. Now, obviously, a new mortgage, you're paying like six and a half or maybe more. In that case, it's probably not the best debt to have, but it really does come down to what your borrowing rate is. And these are kind of things you have to think about, especially as you go into retirement. I would argue, though, a lot of times maybe you have a low rate on your mortgage, um, but like you just hate having debt, you know? And to me, if you're just like, I don't like having a mortgage and it's not going to change your life, even though if maybe economically speaking, it's better to keep it outstanding. In my mind, sometimes it's better just to pay it off. That's a great point. I think peace of mind is really important, especially in retirement. You know, it's a huge transition. People really have a struggle struggle dealing with that transition from bringing in capital, saving capital, to now you're spending it all down. Um, so I think that, that mental and emotional piece is huge as well. Yeah, it's all about, uh, it's like to put, say, put your portfolio to the sleep point at night. That's, that's critical. You know, the other question that we get a lot is, you know, right now interest rates have gone up a lot. I just talked about how bonds are much more attractive now. And, you know, one of the questions are, if I'm going to buy bonds in my portfolio as a safe component, am I better off buying individual bonds or should I just put it into a bond fund? What are your feelings on that? I know Bob is, is sad that he's missing the segment right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, as we saw last year uh, with interest rates rising, bonds the, the value of these bonds really went down. Um, and that's really the biggest difference between these bond funds and individual bonds. You know, we may have held treasuries or CDs or, or corporate bonds individually, and the the value is going down, but that doesn't... We know a lot of people get pitched or sold, I like to say, an annuity because you get income for life. It sounds like such a great deal. How do you feel about annuities, Aaron? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I love running analyses on these annuities uh, because really what it is at the end of the day is you're essentially giving these annuity companies or the insurance companies a lump sum of money, and they're basically paying you your money back. Um, the biggest problem with these is inflation, right? So you're, you're, you're locking in this income stream that looks great now, um, but in 20 years, that's not going to cover your bills and your expenses. Yes. It's going to cover about half of the value of what it does right now. No, it's a great point, and people don't factor this in because, look, when you're in retirement, whatever you need today to live on, double that over the next 20 years because inflation goes higher. But the problem is when you turn an annuity on, it's the same amount of income every single year. It doesn't adjust for inflation. And the other problem I have is you give up your principal. So maybe you get this income for life, but you've given up 
you know, the, the core part of your portfolio, that core asset. And I think that's always a dangerous thing in retirement. So you gotta be, I mean, in some cases, annuities might be great, but for the most part, I give up my principal. I'm getting the same amount of money every year. Meanwhile, inflation is going higher. You know, a lot of times that's a bad deal. So you really have to look at that in context of your overall plan. Um, you know, the other question too is, you know, are you better off, uh, taking social security as early as possible or do you wait till age 70 when you get the full amount? What's your feelings on social security? Social security is tough. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, but I think in general, if you're not working, if you're not going to be penalized for taking social security early, it definitely makes sense to get that benefit earlier. You know, the longer that you're living, the bigger that benefit's going to be. And as we've all read about in the news, you know, we're really not sure how long social security is going to be fully funded and able to pay out these benefits. Yeah, I think they're, they're going to be bankrupt in the next couple of years, but it's a good point because sometimes you see the benefit at age 70 so much higher. You think to wait, but you really got to look at the actuarial table because a lot of times taking it later, it may take you to age 80 and make up the difference for foregoing that benefit earlier. And my question always is, how lucky do you feel? <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, it, depending on how long you're going to live, but you know, the average person lives to age 80, you, you know, you really have to weigh that out. And it's not the same for everybody, but it's definitely something, you know, you've got to factor in. Um, you know, another question too, and we see this all the time, we look at like maybe 50 portfolios a month, but if you were able to buy a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund, you know, what's the better option? A mutual fund or exchange traded fund, exchange traded fund, I would take that all day. Um, it's liquid. So it's trading throughout the day, just like a stock would. And if you look at the fees and the costs associated with exchange traded funds versus mutual funds, I mean, you can have two funds that are tracking the same investments. A mutual fund could be, you know, another 25 to 50 basis points in cost, uh, for the same relative, well, for the same performance, which would actually be a lower relative performance because of the higher costs. Yeah. And they pay capital gains out every year in a mutual fund. So no matter if they had gains or not, they still, you might have a loss on that mutual fund, but they still may pay out capital gains that year. So you pay taxes and you have a loss. That's not a great deal. Um, so I absolutely, at this point, you know, the new school is exchange traded funds. The old school is mutual funds. Definitely something you should review in your portfolio. And if you're thinking to yourself right now, like these are things I need to get on top of. Should I pay off my mortgage? Do I own bond funds? Should I just own my bonds outright individually? I do have an annuity. I'm getting pitched an annuity. I don't think it's the best thing for me. I'm not sure it's the best thing for me. How do I take Social Security? Well, here's your shot to do it. We keep, literally, we have five slots left for the rest of the show. If you saved over a million dollars for your retirement, myself and Aaron will run for you our total financial master plan, our famous plan, and we'll do it with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review. We literally look at everything. There's no other firm out there that's willing to do this work up front. We go as far as building you your own personalized financial portal. We'll give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life, just honing in on every issue you've got to address today, whether it's an income plan for retirement. How do you take Social Security? Do you buy an annuity? How do you draw from your portfolio? How do you factor in inflation to your income plan? We're going to put together a full dynamic income plan, show you how to live off your portfolio so you don't run out of money over the rest of your life. We're going to look at diversification. Markets have been extremely volatile. Has your portfolio been extremely volatile? Or have you just been sitting in cash, paralysis by analysis, can't figure out what to do because there's so much uncertainty? We're going to put together a full investment game plan, show you how to grow your money, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street just loves to sell you high-cost, tax-inefficient products like annuities, mutual funds, insurance products, structure products. We literally do a deep dive of every investment you own. We show you where all the hidden costs are, how to reduce that cost, and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make. It's what you take. We're going to give you our full tax playbook so you can save on taxes too. We have five slots left. If you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement, all you need to do is call or text right now at 844-752-6692. That's call or text at 844-752-6692. We have five slots if you saved over a million dollars, if you call or text right now at 844-PLAN-NYC, that's 844-PLAN-NYC. And if you want to learn more about our firm, Pain Capital Management, of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E. Simply go to bbullish.com. That's bbullish.com. You can learn more about our firm. If you have questions for me, Aaron, Bob, who's usually on the show, simply go to bbullish.com slash questions. Stay tuned. We got more 
more money coming your way. W-A-B-C. Good morning. This is Aaron Dessen filling in for Bob for this week's market update. And it was another wild ride on the street of dreams as concerns over Federal Reserve's interest rate policy and ability to stabilize the entire financial system weighed heavily on stock prices. Despite high levels of anxiety in the banking sector, the major indexes closed the week on a higher note. The Dow gained 1.15%, while the S&P 500 and NASDAQ gained 1.4 and 1.8% respectively. All eyes were on Fed Chairman Jerome Powell Wednesday as the Federal Reserve raised interest rates by another 25 basis points, bringing the Fed funds rate to a range of 4.75 to 5%, the highest since October 2007. Even as the Fed continues to tighten financial conditions, Chairman Powell stuck with the narrative that he still believes a path towards lowering inflation without pushing the economy into a recession is a possibility. On the inflation front, West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil ended the week at $69.20 a barrel, its lowest level in nearly two years. Given oil prices have a major impact on everyone's wallet, lower energy costs are a huge tax relief for American consumers and businesses alike, and another sign inflationary pressures are cooling off. U.S. government bond yields also headed lower into the close on Friday, with the benchmark 10-year Treasury yield now trading near 3.38%, another sign of lower inflation ahead. Meanwhile, the labor market remains tight as the number of Americans who applied for unemployment insurance last week slipped to a three-week low of 191,000, signaling little erosion in a strong U.S. labor market. With signs inflation is continuing to come down as the labor market remains strong, the likelihood of an economic recession in 2023 is appearing less and less likely. So, given the world is most likely not coming to an end, and you may be thinking to yourself, I need to get a game plan together to grow and protect my wealth for retirement. Here is your shot to do it. If you call or text right now at 844-752-6692, that's 844-752-6692, my firm, Payne Capital Management, will run for you a total financial master plan with no obligation or cost. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. 844-PLAN-NYC. This is more money necessarily matter as an investor because you know that the bond issuer has good credit quality and you're confident you're still going to be able to collect those interest payments. And if you just wait until maturity, you're going to get your money back Um, in a bond fund. You're not necessarily going to have that opportunity because now you're in a pool with many other different investors. And I know we were dealing with a lot of folks that were panicking last year with the declines in the stock and the bond market. Well, if other investors in that bond fund are selling out and panicked, now the manager of the fund has to sell these bonds at a discount, selling them at a loss um, to raise capital to pay out these these investors. And now you as an investor in the bond fund are, you know, really, uh, really taking that loss without without panicking on your own. Yeah, it's kind of like I'm going down in an elevator with people I don't like. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's an important point. So, right, if you're going to own bonds, which we think you should own bonds as a safety component to your portfolio, own bonds that come due, have a maturity date. That's the difference, right? Permanency and definition. I know the interest rate I'm getting, and right now, obviously, rates are way more attractive. If I can get 4% on a treasury bond, and I know at a certain date in the future, no matter what, you know, I'm going to get my principal back, and you don't have that assurance in a bond fund. So, I'm with you. I think bond funds are not the place to be if you're going to allocate bonds to your portfolio. You know, another question we get all the time is as you're getting close to retirement or maybe you're retired now is you need an income plan. And as we know, a lot of people get pitched or sold, I like to say, an annuity because you get income for life. It sounds like such a great deal. How do you feel about annuities, Aaron? At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I love running analyses on these annuities uh, because really what it is at the end of the day is you're essentially giving these annuity companies or the insurance companies a lump sum of money, and they're basically paying you your money back. Um, the biggest problem with these is inflation, right? So you're, you're, you're locking in this income stream that looks great now, 
Um, but in 20 years, that's not going to cover your bills and your expenses. Yes. It's going to be, it's going to cover about half of the value of what it does right now. No, it's a great point, And people don't factor this in because look, when you're in retirement, whatever you need today to live on, double that over the next 20 years because inflation goes higher. But the problem is when you turn an annuity on, it's the same amount of income every single year. It doesn't adjust for inflation. And the other problem I have is you give up your principal. So maybe you get this income for life, but you've given up you know, the, the core part of your portfolio, that core asset. And I think that's always a dangerous thing in retirement. So you got to be, I mean, in some cases, annuities might be great, but for the most part, I give up my principal. I'm getting the same amount of money every year. Meanwhile, inflation is going higher. You know, a lot of times that's a bad deal. So you really have to look at that in context of your overall plan. Um, you know, the other question too is, you know, are you better off uh, taking Social Security as early as possible or do you wait till age 70 when you get the full amount? What's your feelings on Social Security? Social Security is tough. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, but I think in general, if you're not working, if you're not going to be penalized for taking Social Security early, it definitely makes sense to get that benefit earlier. You know, the longer that you're living, the bigger that benefit's going to be. And as we've all read about in the news, you know, we're really not sure how long Social Security is going to be fully funded and able to pay out these benefits. Yeah, I think they're, they're going to be bankrupt in the next couple of years. But it's a good point because sometimes you see the benefit at age 70 so much higher, you think to wait. But you really got to look at the actuarial table because a lot of times taking it later, it may take you to age 80 and make up the difference for foregoing that benefit earlier. And my question always is, how lucky do you feel? <laughs> right? So... <laughs> Uh, you know, it, depending on how long you're going to live, but you know, the average person lives to age 80, you, you know, you really have to weigh that out. And it's not the same for everybody, but it's definitely something, you know, you've got to factor in. Um, you know, another question too, and we see this all the time, we look at like maybe 50 portfolios a month, but if you were able to buy a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund, you know, what's the better option? A mutual fund or exchange traded fund, exchange traded fund, I would take that all day. Um, it's liquid. So it's trading throughout the day, just like a stock would. And if you look at the fees and the costs associated with exchange traded funds versus mutual funds, I mean, you can have two funds that are tracking the same investments. A mutual fund could be, you know, another 25 to 50 basis points in cost, uh, for the same relative, well, for the same performance, which would actually be a lower relative performance because of the higher costs. Yeah. And they pay capital gains out every year in a mutual fund. So no matter if they had gains or not, they still, you might have a loss on that mutual fund, but they still may pay out capital gains that year. So you pay taxes and you have a loss. That's not a great deal. Um, so I absolutely, at this point, you know, the new school is exchange traded funds. The old school is mutual funds. Definitely something you should review in your portfolio. And if you're thinking to yourself right now, like these are things I need to get on top of. Should I pay off my mortgage? Do I own bond funds? Should I just own my bonds outright individually? I do have an annuity. I'm getting pitched an annuity. I don't think it's the best thing for me. I'm not sure it's the best thing for me. How do I take Social Security? Well, here's your shot to do it. We keep, literally, we have five slots left for the rest of the show. If you saved over a million dollars for your retirement, myself and Aaron will run for you our total financial master plan, our famous plan, and we'll do it with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review. We literally look at everything. There's no other firm out there that's willing to do this work up front. We go as far as building you your own personalized financial portal. We'll give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life, just honing in on every issue you've got to address today, whether it's an income plan for retirement. How do you take Social Security? Do you buy an annuity? How do you draw from your portfolio? How do you factor in inflation to your income plan? We're going to put together a full dynamic income plan, show you how to live off your portfolio so you don't run out of money over the rest of your life. We're going to look at diversification. Markets have been extremely volatile. Has your portfolio been extremely volatile? Or have you just been sitting in cash, paralysis by analysis, can't figure out what to do because there's so much uncertainty? We're going to put together a full investment game plan, show you how to grow your money, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street just loves to sell you high-cost, tax-inefficient products like annuities, mutual funds, insurance products, structure products. We literally do a deep dive of every investment you own. We show you where all the hidden costs are, how to reduce that cost, and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make. It's what you take. We're going to give you our full tax playbook so you can save on taxes too. We have five slots left. If you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement, all you need to do is call or text right now at 844-752-6692. That's call or text at 844 
752-6692. We have five slots. If you saved over a million dollars, if you call or text right now at 844-PLAN-NYC, that's 844-PLAN-NYC. And if you want to learn more about our firm, Payne Capital Management, of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E. Simply go to bbullish.com. That's bbullish.com. You can learn more about our firm. If you have questions for me, Aaron, Bob, who's usually on the show, simply go to bbullish.com slash questions. Stay tuned. We got more, more money coming your way. W-A-B-C. Good morning. This is Aaron Dessen filling in for Bob for this week's market update. And it was another wild ride on the street of dreams as concerns over Federal Reserve's interest rate policy and ability to stabilize the entire financial system weighed heavily on stock prices. Despite high levels of anxiety in the banking sector, the major indexes closed the week on a higher note. The Dow gained 1.15%, while the S&P 500 and NASDAQ gained 1.4 and 1.8% respectively. All eyes were on Fed Chairman Jerome Powell Wednesday, as the Federal Reserve raised interest rates by another 25 basis points, bringing the Fed funds rate to a range of 4.75 to 5%, the highest since October 2007. Even as the Fed continues to tighten financial conditions, Chairman Powell stuck with the narrative that he still believes a path towards lowering inflation without pushing the economy into a recession is a possibility. On the inflation front, West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil ended the week at $69.20 a barrel, its lowest level in nearly two years. Given oil prices have a major impact on everyone's wallet, lower energy costs are a huge tax relief for American consumers and businesses alike, and another sign inflationary pressures are cooling off. U.S. government bond yields also headed lower into the close on Friday, with the benchmark 10-year Treasury yield now trading near 3.38%, another sign of lower inflation ahead. Meanwhile, the labor market remains tight as the number of Americans who applied for unemployment insurance last week slipped to a three-week low of 191,000, signaling little erosion in a strong U.S. labor market. With signs inflation is continuing to come down as the labor market remains strong, the likelihood of an economic recession in 2023 is appearing less and less likely. So, given the world is most likely not coming to an end, and you may be thinking to yourself, I need to get a game plan together to grow and protect my wealth for retirement. Here is your shot to do it. If you call or text right now at 844-752-6692, that's 844-752-6692, my firm, Payne Capital Management, will run for you a total financial master plan with no obligation or cost. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. 844-PLAN-NYC. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show on WABC Talk Radio. I am so pleased to introduce to you all my next guest, David Sokol, who is a good friend, but he's also a great, great entrepreneur, great American businessman in the greatest sense of the word. David is someone who is the... uh, Chairman and CEO of Teton Capital. He has uh, built many businesses, including having served as the president chairman of CEO of NetJets. And also his new book is uh, is a must read called America in Perspective, co-written with my great friend um, Adam Brandon at the um, Freedom Works. So anyways, David, thank you so much for joining this afternoon. I'm glad to be here, Steve. Thanks for having me on. So I've got a lot of things I want to talk to you about today, uh, and I want to start with uh, Joe Biden is having this victory celebration, mission accomplished, I guess, on the economy this week. So I think he's scheduled to visit uh, eight or ten states uh, on this tour of talking about all the wonderful things he's done for the economy. I'm not seeing it. I'm not feeling the love, David. And I wonder, you know, someone who's been so successful in business and you look at Biden's policies, I see this. I I wrote a piece um, the other day called Biden declares war on American business because so many of the policies that I'm seeing that he's either enacted or is trying to enact would have a negative effect on uh, people like you who are trying to build businesses. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the last two years, uh, it's it's amazing how many, you know, really dumb things have been done, and how many how many disingenuous things that, that just right. harm the economy. 
had, uh, you know, from the deficit spending, the, you know, the, the, the data that's come out, Goldman Sachs's research on the, the purported uh, uh, Inflation Reduction Act actually costing about four times what, what the government right. said it would cost. Right. Right. Um, it, you know, if the government would just get out of the way and, and stop being in the way of business, it's amazing where we'd be from the last two years if we hadn't had all this interference and so much excess spending, which is what's really driven the inflation issues. Um, yeah, it's it's. I'll tell you what, it's very tough to navigate today as a business person because our government seems to be uh, just all about sound bites and, and scoring political uh, points and not following through on anything. I mean, look at this, this recent bank situation with uh, SVB and, and Signature mm-hmm. Bank. Yep. Where were the regulators? They have, yeah. They've had all this information for years, right. and they did nothing. Well, there's no industry in America that, that's probably more regulated than our banking industry. And you're right. We have all these bank supervisors and, you know, the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco and uh, all the overseers, the risk assessment people. And you're right. They were asleep at the switch. Now, I'm not saying that uh, Silicon Valley Bank isn't responsible for its own behavior, but we're supposed to have watchdogs looking out for the you know, the soundness of our banking system. If you were to advise uh Joe Biden, and he were to call you and say, look, I need advice because he doesn't have any people like you, if any, uh, that really know anything about business. And he genuinely wanted your um, thoughts uh, about and advice about what to do to get out of this kind of economic malaise that we're in right now, David. What would you tell the president? This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Well, you know, I think there's three things. One, get the budget under control. We have got to stop this excess spending. Um, Not only are we in an inflationary period, we've got $32.5 trillion of debt. We are borrowing from our great-grandchildren, and that's got to stop because just printing money – and the problem with just printing money is business people don't know what what to look for in the future. Uh, You know, the future is always uncertain when you're an entrepreneur, but but the financial situation we're in both as a country and as a globe is really – Concerning. Secondly, stop all the new regulation. You know, the the SVB bank, I agree with you, these banks are responsible for their own own uh, issues and they shouldn't be being bailed out. Uh, You know, the uninsured uh, deposits shouldn't be bailed out, particularly for these large uh, deposits from from venture capital companies and and their and their sub companies. Uh, They knew what they were doing, Uh, but also it's a great example that we pass all these regulations and government puts out thousands of new ones a year, and they don't pay attention to the ones that are already out there. But if you're a small business person or an entrepreneur starting a business, you're paying tremendous costs for all these regulations. And then we find out that in the case of SVB, the regulators saw this problem coming four years ago and didn't do anything about it. Well, then why do we have these regulations and all these governmental employees? Yeah. yeah. And, and so <laughs> you, you need to, you need to, the government needs to get out of the way. Um, they right. need to stop pretending that socialism is an answer because it isn't. And, and more regulation actually, um, you know, is a real problem. So, uh, what about this whole new drive that really wasn't there when you started your companies, but is is so predominant now? It, what they they're calling DEI, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion, and then you've got the climate change, uh, you know, the ESG stuff. Uh, I don't think you know when you were building your companies, you necessarily had to deal with these distractions. But um, how big of a problem do you think that is today? Well, it's 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 a real it's a real issue. I mean, the amount of money that is wasted on these woke and DEI and ESG policies is is in the in the hundreds of billions of dollars. Right. I mean, the right. amount of nonsense that I see in board activities and things of that nature that that create no value, they're just virtue signaling. Right. And then, right. You know, separately, the energy issues and and the, and this green CO two policy and that. 
you know, when I first started my first business back in the early 80s, um, you know, we had environmental groups that, that would keep an eye. We were in the waste energy business, burning garbage and making electricity. And, and we had, you know, kind of the, the, the real environmental groups who actually cared to solve problems and work with you. And then we had the gadflies and that. But, but for the most part, people were trying to make things better. And there was, there was typically common sense applied. You know, today, this, this whole CO2 reduction plan, if people would just stop back and stop for a minute, even this most recent IPCC report, yep. you know, the, the time bomb is ticking and all this stuff. Well, that, those are interesting political statements. Not a single intelligent step has been taken to try <laughs> if CO2 is this, this existential threat. Yeah. Not one single intelligent step. So let me just interrupt you there for a second, David, because you're making a really important point. And I I know it's important because I just wrote my weekly column on this very subject that there was a headline, uh, I think it came out about a week or 10 days ago, about the, you know, uh, the international agency that's in charge of, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, the greenhouse gases. And they found that in 2022, the year that just ended a few months ago, record amounts of uh, greenhouse gases were emitted in the atmosphere. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting because, you know, we've spent $150 billion <laughs> in the last 10 years. And other, Europe has probably spent about the same amount to try to combat, you know, the, the greenhouse gases and the greenhouse uh, effect. And yet, you know, what, how is it working? <laughs> I mean, how do you spend hundreds of billions of dollars and not make one iota of progress? And so I, I take your point. I think it's a really important one. We should be measuring, you know, like a business. This is one of my pet peeves. A businessman like you, you you um, judge performance by the outcome, right? <laughs> did, it, did it work? Did, you know, are we making sales with the product we're trying to sell? In government, it's always how much did we spend as if, you know, the inputs matter, not the not the output. And I, I don't know if you have a response to that, but it, it, it really, it seems like the government addresses a problem always backward. Oh, absolutely. I mean, unconditionally, and particularly in this issue of CO2. I mean, you know, your, your, your comment is, is even more dramatic when you realize that America has spent that money and we've reduced our CO2 emissions significantly. And we're one of the only major countries that's done so um, yes. since the Paris Accord. And, and so we're down as a country 25% in CO2 yep. emissions from 2005. If you look at America's emissions on a percentage of GDP, we lead the world in the reduction of CO2. But, but again, we're talking about a very dangerous subject here. You know, energy is the lifeblood of every yes. economy on the planet. Yes. And yep. fossil fuels are that blood today. Now, yep. one can argue whether that's a good decision going forward, but what, what you can't argue is that over 80% of the energy consumed in the world is fossil fuels to, today. <clears throat> Less than 3% is renewable. And yet we've got presidents running around, former vice presidents, just making ridiculous statements about how <laughs> 2030 and 2035 we're going to do this and do that, spending hundreds of billions of dollars to put charging stations on the interstate without having made a single intelligent modification to the U.S. grid system to be yes. able to deal with electric vehicles. Well, that's so a great point. Yeah. But the, and the other point is, you know, China today emits two and a half times of, of the U.S. CO2 emissions, greenhouse right, emissions. Right. Yes. They're, they're permitting two coal plants a week. Now, again, I'm not trying uh -huh. to be critical of China. It's a reality. It's just a reality. Yep. To do that till 2050 and 2060, which they've said they're going to do, we're wasting every dollar we're spending. It's and so true. And, and uh, you know, I would just yeah. add to that that when you talk about what's going on in the energy situation and, and the fact that we have reduced, uh, I want to repeat something you just said, because I know a lot of people probably have never heard this before, and they may not even believe it to be true, but you can look it up, that the United States has reduced our carbon emissions more than any other country. And it's not, it is not because of all these government regulations and all these government programs. The reason, folks, that we're reducing our carbon emissions is because of the shale gas revolution, which happened in the private sector, David. It was these private, you know, wildcatters exactly who figured right. out how to get a you know, so government sometimes stands in the way of progress rather than, uh, you know, it's innovation and investment 
that leads to a cleaner environment. And I think this is a good example of that. In a, in a clear pathway, <clears throat> we've lost – government has lost the idea of, of having a big plan and a big idea and then laying out a framework to get there. If, 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 if CO2 and greenhouse gases are the existential threat of our planet, then step one has to be getting the, the governments of China, India, and every other industrialized country – on board with a plan that we all agree to that's enforceable and demonstrable, then you could start actually talking about how do we make this glide slope transition over the next 50 to 70 years. There is no plan today. And all of these costs, and and this is the frustration for me as as a person that spent most of my career in the energy world, there's absolutely no attention being paid to the cost burden that's going to be imposed upon not only the the low income and middle income people in the United States, but throughout the world <clears throat> to try and do this with no, with the, the the haphazard method of having Al Gore and John Kerry run around the world spouting nonsense. Yes. Um, so we've got so just you, about two or three minutes left. I wanted to ask you a couple of last questions, and I, I'm talking to David Sokol, who is the author of a great new book called American Perspective and one of America's great CEOs. Um, I was I had a, a dinner last week with the great Bernie Marcus. I don't know if you've ever, ever met Bernie, but he is the uh, co-founder of um, Home Depot and a great, great, great one of our legendary and iconic business leaders uh, and entrepreneurs. And he was telling me at dinner that, you know, it, under the current regulatory uh, and tax uh, burden that we have today, he doesn't think he could start Home Depot today. And I wonder what your thought is about that. I think you know, starting any business today is materially harder than it was when I first got started <clears throat> back in the middle 80s. Um, and even some business developments that we did in the, in the, in the 1990s. Um, regulation upon regulation without any real reason or anybody even paying attention to a bunch of this stuff. It's just making things, you know, it's one of the reasons you see people doing business in other parts of the world, because they're looking for places where you have reasonable predictability. Don't get Mm -hmm. me wrong. America is by far uh, the best country on this planet, from my perspective, to have a business and to live and and to raise children. But uh, this this administration and several of the administrations the last 20 years are breaking things down. They they are, you know, the fact that we have senators and, and congresspeople that are both incompetent and put the term socialist on their on their cards, it just tells you that we're heading in the wrong direction. And so starting a business here, as much as I believe in this country and I believe in it in devoutly, with no leadership in the administration and with nothing, nothing but virtue signaling when we appoint sec, uh, right. you know, secretaries of, of state or or um, transportation or energy, et cetera, you know, it's just going to be very difficult to get people to put money at risk when they have no idea what the government's going to be doing. Well, boy, is that well said. And if we get a new president in 2024, which I think (laughs) I'm certainly praying that we do, I would love to see that president, whether it's Donald Trump or some other hopefully a Republican, in my opinion, I would love to see you be the next Commerce Secretary because you do know a lot about business because you've done it so successfully. David Sokol, thank you so much for taking time out of your Saturday afternoon for joining us. Uh, Very much appreciate it. Folks, we'll be right back. You're listening to The More Money Show on WABC Talk Radio. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Well, look at this, folks. The hour is almost up. I apologize. I promised I'd get to your calls this afternoon, but I, I uh, the clock has run out on us. I'm going to tell John Katsimatidis we need an extra hour so we can take your calls. So I apologize for those who were holding on. I will get to you next week. I hope everybody has a great weekend. I'm sorry about the glum weather all over the East Coast, but tomorrow is going to be a beautiful day. And one final thing, folks, I want to make sure that you get the Committee to Unleash Prosperity hotline that I edit every morning. I'm not selling anybody anything here, folks. This is absolutely free. 
It costs you nothing. I just want you to be the smartest person in the room when you're having discussions with your friends or your family or people in school or in your business about what's going on in America and go to the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, sign up for the uh, Committee to Unleash Prosperity Prosperity Hotline, and we will email it to you five mornings a week. And if you like it, we'll just keep sending it to you. If you don't like it, you can unsubscribe for it, from it. But I got to tell you, uh, Newt Gingrich the other day told me this is the first thing he reads every morning. Another one of my good friends uh, told me it's the ca- his caffeine in the morning. So get the Committee to Unleash Prosperity hotline so you can know what's going on with politics and the economy and finances. Uh, and one last thing, I just want to say thank you to John Katsimatidis for building up this incredible radio station that is now, you know, really it, its listenership has more than doubled since John took over, which is an amazing accomplishment. It, it shows what happens when you have great leadership and you can build things in America. Let's build things in America, not tear things down. That's my message for the day. Everything's going to be great in America. I don't know if I agree with uh, President Biden, that everything's wonderful right now, but we always get out of these messes. We're the United States of America. We always triumph. And don't forget the lesson of the day, folks. The goose that lays the golden eggs in America is the free enterprise system. All we need from government right now is a lot less of it. So let's get together. Let's cut spending. Let's balance our budget. Let's get America moving again. I'm Steve Moore. This is the More Money Show. I'll talk to you all the same time next week. Have a great weekend, folks. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.